Well, the Zags have two losses and are outside the top 10 of the AP poll for the first time in a very long time. So we answer the big question on today's show. Does this team still have a championship ceiling? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart, a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com. Use promo code Locked On at checkout to get an extra $30 off your order. All right, as we have done to start the season, we are pushing Mailbag Monday to Mailbag Tuesday. Doesn't have as good of a ring, but I suppose the questions are still being submitted on Monday, so maybe we can still count it as Mailbag Monday. Got a ton, a ton of ton of questions over the weekend and after the Xavier game on Monday, so or on Sunday, excuse me. So we're going to break up Mailbag a little bit. We're going to have a couple segments with some spillover Mailbag questions on Wednesday's episode as well. So if you submitted a question, you don't hear it answer in this show check it out on wednesday i should have the answers to all your questions there all right we're gonna get right into it because we have a lot to go over today this first question comes from jacob quarter two on twitter who says right now we can probably say that the one seed is out of the question in order to get the number two seed in your opinion do we need to win out or can we afford another loss or two yeah i don't really understand the sentiment that two loss team can't be a one seed uh last year on december 4th so today is November 29th, as you are listening to this, most likely. Last year on December 4th, the Zags had two losses. They still got a one seed. Like It can still happen. Uh, last year, the Zags had two losses to Duke and Alabama. They had wins over UCLA and Texas. They had a couple other close games against uh, questionable teams. And then they got it going. They figured it out. They had a really nice win over A&M. Blew through the conference tournament. Ended up getting a one seed. Obviously, we know what happened after that, but... I don't think that the Zags having two losses to literal top five teams, top five teams in the AP poll, not just hypothetical top five teams, actual top five teams in the AP poll in Texas and Purdue. The Zags have two losses to them. They have a win over Michigan State. They have a win over Kentucky. They have a win over Xavier, who's not ranked yet, but is a solid program. I do not think that the Zags just are eliminated from being a one seed because of two losses early in the season, especially when they had two losses at around the same time last year and still got a one seed. Having said that, are the Zags right now one of the four best teams in college basketball? No, no, they are not. Are they capable of being one of the four best teams in college basketball? Yes. I don't know that they're going to be a one seed. I suspect that this is the year that that streak is going to end, and they're probably going to be a two or a three seed somewhere in that range, mostly because there's just a lot of really good teams in college basketball this year, not a lot of great teams, which is what's going to make it a, a fairly fascinating NCAA tournament. But also, you know, it's not even December yet, so there's a lot, a lot, a lot of time between now and March for, for many teams, not just Gonzaga, to kind of figure it out. But uh, crowning a team as incapable of being a one seed because they have two losses in November uh, is, is silly to me and not, not entirely accurate or representative of what typically happens, as we know literally by looking at this team last year. Next question comes from at user DadRisk on Twitter, who says, over under five and a half losses on Selection Sunday for the Zags, over under 3.5 seed. 
Yeah, I think under for both. Uh, I think they're probably going to lose one between Baylor and Alabama uh, because those are two really, really tough games. Baylor looks like a, or excuse me, Alabama looks like a top 10 team. Baylor uh, remains a top 10 team as well. Two really, really solid programs. But let's say we split those games. They have three losses. I don't see three more losses on the schedule. St. Mary's is obviously tough. You got to watch out for, for Washington. They can clip you. Heck, Portland looks really good right now. BYU on the road, even though BYU is down, is always a tough game. Like, there's some some challenging games on the schedule, and Gonzaga has certainly showed more weaknesses than they have in, in previous years. But I don't see this team being a six-plus loss team. I just don't see it. I, I They've gotten through a big chunk of the hardest part of their schedule. They won a lot of really good games. They've beaten three very good teams so far this year, lost to two of them. Uh, I think they got a couple more good games. They're going to probably endure at least a couple more losses, maybe one more loss, but I'd be surprised if they're finished below six. And if they are less than a six loss team, there's no way they're lower than the three seed. I think they're a two seed, three seed, somewhere in that conversation. Uh, Certainly if things unravel a little bit more than we could see them drop, but I would be pretty surprised if that happens. Next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, all of Gonzaga's losses have a similar theme where the other team is able to get hot from long range. Uh, The Zags have questionable shots early in the shot clock. With that said, in each loss, the other team has scored fewer and fewer points and had smaller shooting percentages in those games. Despite the losses, are we seeing progress as Gonzaga, the team, comes together through this extremely difficult non-conference season? Well, yeah, of course. I would would sure hope we're seeing progress. Otherwise, there's no point in scheduling these games. Mark Few has been telling us for for weeks, for months, like, hey, this team is not going to be ready right away. They need time to gel. You're asking a bunch of players to play different roles. I mean, who, who I can think of only a few players who are basically doing the same thing they did last year. Drew Timmy, Anton Watson, Julian Strother at times, but also he's he's asked to play a pretty significantly different role. Rasir Bolden at times, but he's also been asked to kind of play out of position. And then you have Nolan Hickman, who's asked to play an entirely different role. Hunter Salas, who's asked to pick up a big chunk of the role. You have Malachi Smith and Efton Reed, who are brand new to the team, brand new to the offense, brand new to the system. Ben Gregg is picking up a different role. So you have like one or two guys, maybe three guys who are doing the same thing as they were doing last year. You put them in the schedule where they have five ridiculously tough games early in the season. They come out of it with more wins than losses yeah that's pretty darn good I'd be pretty happy about that I know that the losses look very bad and I'm not just glossing over them as just calling them losses they were blowouts and there is something to that I don't want to seem like flippant or cavalier about that getting blown out like that is not good and it was frustrating and difficult to watch but at the end of the day this team has won more games than they've lost they have played very good teams they have beaten good teams they have lost to extraordinarily good teams and we have seen them continue to get better and more comfortable in their offense as the season goes on and like it's not December yet it's not even December Next question comes from Mark at Can I Ball on Twitter, who says, Going into the season, most of us consider depth to be one of our greatest assets. Again, we are seeing a shortened rotation on the starters playing heavy minutes in big games. Are there legitimate concerns with how the staff develops the bench? Yeah, I've kind of talked about this in the past, and it is it is a criticism I have levied against Mark Few and the staff in previous years of being too of un. I guess, inconsistent about playing depth players, uh, be too reliant on the starters. Uh, We've talked about how we've seen some guys appear to look fatigued going into the NCAA tournament or through the NCAA tournament, go on cold streaks. Corey Kispert a couple years ago, Julian Strother last year, two examples of that. Even Andrew Nembhard in that game against Arkansas looked gassed and he played basically every minute of the last couple of games. So few has done this in the past, uh, but he has made it very clear. And he said this after the Xavier game when he was talking, he was referencing Ben Gregg, but he said, and I thought this was an important quote is playing on this team and playing in these games is a privilege. It is not a right. 
you do not get to play on this team simply because you are one of the players on this roster. You do not get to play because we should play nine guys, so we're just going to play nine guys. That is not how Mark Few operates. You play if you have earned the playing time. If he does not believe that you have earned the right to play in those games, even if he's only got six or seven guys who he thinks have earned that right, that's all he's going to play. He has been very adamant about that, very staunch about that this year. We're seeing a lot of guys who aren't getting the playing time that people thought that they might get. Names that we're going to talk about later in the show or perhaps tomorrow, depending on, on where those mailbag questions were. But I'm going to continue to come back to this quote. Mark Few has said it. Playing on this team is a privilege, not a right. If you haven't earned the opportunity to play for this team, he's not going to play you. He has been consistent about that for 20 years. Looking back at his track record, I'm certainly not going to question it. Having said that, I do hope that there's opportunities for some of the starters to get a little bit of rest as we get into conference play so that they're not as gassed getting into the March tournament. Final question of the segment comes from John via Gmail. John says, at what point after losing to Texas by 19 and giving up 93 points and losing to Purdue, do we start to believe that instead of not playing well or having a bad game that maybe Gonzaga isn't as good as we thought they would be when the experts ranked them number two to start the season? This was, uh, yeah, so... I understand why people are asking these questions. I'm not going to entertain the other questions I received about if this team is even going to make the NCAA tournament, which is a ludicrous thing to assume about a team that has lost two games to literal top five opponents. I'm going to continue to hammer that home. Texas and Purdue are two of the five best teams in the country. Does this mean Gonzaga maybe isn't number two? Yeah. Does getting ranked number two when in actuality you're maybe like a top 10 or 15 team, does that scream some huge problem? No. This is a dang good basketball team who, again, I don't. we need to listen to Mark Few when he tells us, hey, this team is not going to be ready at the start of the year. Drew Timmy said it. Anton Watson said it. Mark Few said it. Brian Michelson said it. Everybody said it. Hey, it's going to take this team some time to gel and get the pieces together. They don't have a diaper dandy in the Chet Holmgren or a Jalen Suggs. They don't have an experienced veteran point guard like Andrew Nempart. We knew this team was going to take some time, and Mark Few put together the hardest non-conference schedule in history. The results, yes, the blowouts are bad, but the results in the sense of them having three wins, two losses, again, not even that different from where they were last year when they did have Chet Holmgren, when they did have Andrew Nembhard, they still lost two games by early December, around the same time as now. Treating this team like they're not good anymore, like they might not be an NCAA tournament, is just a very, very extreme overreaction to a couple of bad losses for a team that doesn't suffer bad losses very often in the fan base, uh, the way that they've responded to them. It's pretty apparent that this isn't something we're very used to. All right, more listeners submitted questions coming your way, including Ben Gregg's excellent weekend and the status for Braden Huff. But first, today's episode of Locked on Zags is brought to you by Omaha Steaks. The holidays are here. Achieve gifting greatness when you give the gift of perfectly aged, tender, and delicious Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks is America's original butcher since 1917 and a holiday gift that's guaranteed to be loved. The steak experts at Omaha Steaks have put together special curated gift packages to help take the guesswork out of gifting and make you a holiday hero. Go to omahasteaks.com and use code LOCKEDON at checkout to get $30 off your order. Set an assortment of mouth-watering favorites guaranteed to impress like the legendary butcher's cut filet mignon, air-chilled boneless chicken, ultra-juicy burgers, and even easy-to-prepare comfort meals that are ready in a flash. Omaha Steaks is ready to ship your order right away, so shop early and beat the shipping rush. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart, a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. 
Visit omahasteaks.com. Use promo code locked on at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. A minimum order may be required. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked On Zags. I want to thank all of you for, for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day as we power through these mailbag questions ahead of Gonzaga's big game against Baylor. This next question comes from at Strike Nowhere on Twitter who says, does Ben Gregg fit the Tilly mold in terms of how he will be used? I see a lot of possible parallels there minus the volleyball background. Yeah, I think Ben's been compared to Killian Tilly since the day he committed to Gonzaga back in 2020, September of 2020, shortly after the Zags missed out on Palo Bancaro. They made an offer to Ben Gregg. He accepted pretty much immediately. And from there on, the Killian Tilly comparison started. I've talked about it on the podcast podcast many other people have talked about it on their podcasts or on the radio shows it's 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 a it's an easy comparison to make he's similar size good outside shooter you know you're kind of hoping for some more defensive intensity and some more physicality from Ben Gregg we saw that this weekend for the first time uh, in his Gonzaga career he went up against Zach Eady he held his own uh, he grabbed some he grabbed three offensive rebounds against Xavier like that's the kind of stuff that Killian Tilly did that that I think and I'm not saying that this is how this question is doing it, but people have often referred to Killian Tilly as just a stretch four. I was like, oh, he's a big guy who could shoot. Tilly could do a lot more than that. He was a good rebounder, a good defensive player, uh, all of that stuff. And we're starting to see some of that stuff kind of show up for Ben Gregg as well. Consistency from the outside is obviously the key thing. Killian Tilly was a 40% three-point shooter. For four years at Gonzaga, the amount of consistency that he had is, is jarring and really, really hard to replicate. Uh, ben hasn't been there yet, but that doesn't mean that he won't get there. Uh, but he's 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 farther behind where Tilly was development wise at this time in his career. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to get to be a similar type player as Killian when he kind of reaches his full potential. Next question comes from Dad Risk on Twitter, who says comments on the apparent death of the small ball lineup. Merely a byproduct of Malachi underwhelming or something with Timmy's shortcomings as well. Timmy played fine with four guards in 2020. Granted, they were all NBA players. Uh, the Zags have been running the, the small ball lineup. I, I'm not sure they haven't run it as often, but they have been running it uh, with Julian Strother playing the four. Uh, I think a big reason they've played less of it uh, has just been matchup dependent. It's just matchups. Uh, the Zags in, in previous years, when the Zags ran this lineup more, they weren't, you know, they, they, they didn't have these kind of, they didn't play Zach Eady a couple of years ago when they ran this lineup, you know, they, they didn't play a Texas team that is full of long athletic dudes a couple of years ago. You know, they didn't play a Michigan state team that has a ton of size, a ton of strength down on the block is I think it's just matchups. I really do. And I think the other thing is the, the emergence of Anton Watson two years ago when they ran a lot of small ball four lineups, Anton Watson was not one of Gonzaga's five best players. He was maybe not one of Gonzaga's seven best players on that team. Now he is. He is very clearly one of their five best players, and he might be one of their three best players. And so getting him more playing time, and especially when he is, he's the Gonzaga's best player at getting the ball to Drew Timmy. In the Texas game, he was the only player who could make the entry pass to Drew. You have to play the only guy who has the playmaking skills, who has the physicality, who has the ability to actually get the ball to Drew Timmy. Uh, when other guards were struggling with that physicality, were struggling to do that, and they had to turn to Anton, you could see why that might be the death of the small ball lineup. I don't think it has anything to do with Drew. I think it has to do more with Gonzaga's guards not stepping up. You, the Malachi Smith point is fair, uh, but I think it has uh, more to do with Anton Watson just being a player that Gonzaga needs to have on the floor many, many, many minutes every single game. 
Next question comes from Jamie via Gmail. Jamie says, do you think an over-reliance on Groot Timmy has stunted the growth of our offense as a whole? Uh, in both lopsided losses this year, Timmy has still produced, but the guys around him often looked timid and passive. I'm mainly thinking of Hickman, Smith, and Salas, all who seem more reluctant to assert themselves than I would have expected at this point in their careers. At this point in their career, Malachi Smith is like six games into his career at Gonzaga. He's adjusting to a brand new role, brand new league, brand new team. I think expecting a lot from him early in the year when they've played this kind of schedule is a little bit it's just it's too much too much expectation on him early uh hickman and salas are adjusting to brand new roles as well um I, this is kind of a chicken and the egg thing i think it's a fair question i don't think that an over-reliance on drew, drew timmy has stunted the growth i think those pieces aren't where where the zags need them to be so they're over they're relying too much on drew timmy the michigan state game is a great example of that the Zags attempted to run their normal offensive sets. They did what they planned to do, what they practiced all offseason, what they've been drilling into these guys. Here's how to run our ball screen offense. Here's how to get the ball to Drew. Here's how to do this, this, this. And it didn't work. And there was other factors there, the extenuating circumstances of the game, of the you know the facility, the uh, being outside, all of that stuff. But in the second half, they just stopped running their offense, just got the ball to Drew. And they pretty much did. They did that in ways against Texas as well, or attempted to. And so I don't think it's that they're only giving the ball to Drew so the other guys aren't developing. I think the other guys aren't where they need them to be, so they're just going to give the ball to Drew so they can get victories and try to win games, and they'll work on that other stuff when they get more time as the season goes on. We've already seen many improvements in many of those areas. Nolan Hickman had an incredible weekend, an incredible weekend against Purdue and or Virginia, excuse me, against Purdue and Xavier. He had, I think, he averaged fourteen and a half points, five assists, shot over 40% from three. He looked awesome this weekend. His development is not, not a concern to me going forward. Next question comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, Friday against Purdue, Gonzaga seemed to have a better handle on the ball. They had less turnovers, which was great to see. What was the issue, though? ED just too big to handle. Bad shots turned to bad defense. Rebounding or just a little bit of everything. Yeah, they missed a lot of open shots against Purdue, which is uh, uncharacteristic, but problematic as kind of similar to what downed them against Arkansas. When you get a lot of good looks and you just don't make them, uh, that can be really frustrating. And then Purdue just played great. I think a lot of this game, this game said a lot more to me about Purdue than it said about Gonzaga. And I know that that's challenging for, for many people to kind of accept because you want to take, you want, you want takeaways about your team, not necessarily about other teams, but Purdue's just really, really good. Criminally underrated at 24 when the, when that game happened, they're top and now they're fifth. So that, that tells you a little bit more. If, if that matchup had been number five, Purdue versus number 11 or 12 Gonzaga, you know, you'd still don't want to get blown out the way that they did. And then there were some, some challenges that come with getting blown out that way, but, Purdue's really, really good. Zach Eady's an absolute load. Uh, he's really skilled with the basketball. Purdue's guards much better than people gave them credit for, and they just played a really, really good game. Next question, final one of the segment, excuse me, comes from at Music in a Blender on Twitter, who says, I might have missed this in one of your earlier pods, but is Braden Huff injured or is he redshirting? I assume he's redshirting. Uh, just to be clear on, on the redshirt rules, you don't apply for a redshirt before the season happens. Uh, so there's not he's he is not de designated as redshirting. He there's not a tag that he is redshirting. No coaches or anybody is going to say that he is redshirting because you you wait till the season's over. Your compliance officer files paperwork. Paperwork goes to the NCAA. NCAA in this case would approve it if he didn't play, uh, and then he is he has then redshirted. So that's kind of how it works. So right now he could play. They could play him. I have not heard any update that he is hurt. Uh, I do not believe that he is hurt. Uh, this coaching staffs and, and colleges are pretty reluctant to provide information because they don't have to. Uh, so if he is hurt, we may not know. But my assumption is, I mean, I, I just don't think he's good enough to play right now. He's not better than Ben Gregg. He's not better than Efton Reed. Uh, Caden Perry is hurt 
presumably, but I, even if he wasn't, uh, I'm not sure that I don't think that Braden would play over Caden if Caden was healthy. So I don't think Braden has going to play this year. I think he's going to eventually end up getting that red shirt tag, uh, but I don't think it is because of an injury. All right, folks, we're going to talk about the upcoming game against the Baylor Bears and some of the stuff that Mark Few is clearly preaching with this team to get them ready for that big game coming up right after this. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zag, still rolling here through Mailbag Tuesday or a delayed Mailbag Monday if you prefer it to sound a little bit smoother. Uh, this next question comes from at SentientTK on Twitter, who says, three things that you think Mark Few is hammering into this team this week before the Baylor game that the Zags need to improve upon. Uh, yeah, handling pressure from opposing guards uh, and still being able to make the entry pass to Drew. That's the number one thing. This is what they struggled with mightily in the Texas game. They did better uh, in uh, the Purdue game and the Xavier game and, and really the rest of their games uh, at getting the ball to Drew Timmy. But Baylor is relentless about this. They were the first team to really expose this significant flaw for the Gonzaga Bulldogs in that 2021 national championship game. Uh, and it's very, you know, the recipe to beat Gonzaga is, I don't want to say simple, but if you can figure out a way to pre- prevent Drew Timmy from getting the basketball, that's going to that's going to help you a lot. And so for the Zags, finding a way to handle that pressure from or from Baylor's guards and still make those entry passes is huge. Uh, next up, defensive rotations, making sure shooters are accounted for. Adam Flagler, really really good outside shooter. LJ Cryer's fantastic guard. Keontae George hasn't really been the guy that Baylor expected him to be yet, but he's. He's due to have some really, really big performances coming up soon as well. So for the Zags, making sure that they are not getting caught in rotation hell where they're all behind a spot and somebody gets a wide open three because Baylor's going to kill you if you do that. And then finally, transition offense. The Zags haven't really gotten out in transition all that much this year. In some games, they haven't really prioritized it because they're just focusing on grabbing the defensive rebounds. I think that that's an okay strategy, especially against teams like Purdue uh, and in some of the other matchups they've had. But It'd be nice to see them attempt to get out in transition and, and put a little bit more pressure on Baylor to get back uh, and put a little bit more pressure on, on, on them just to, to it's an easy way to get points. And for Gonzaga, this game, is if, if, if every time they get the ball, they're coming up in their half court offense and Baylor's able to put pressure on their guards, that's going to make things more difficult. The best thing Gonzaga can do is try to get free points and easy buckets. And, and an easy way to do that is get out in transition as much as possible. Next question comes from at Havilla Benjamin on Twitter, who says prediction of Caleb Lohner's stat line against the Zags. He's currently averaging seven and five for Baylor while shooting 62 and a half percent. Will we see some fireworks between him and some Zags who have played against him for a while, like Timmy and Watson? I doubt it. I don't, neither. I mean, Anton Watson's an intense dude and Drew Timmy, like they're competitive guys. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think that Caleb Lohner really registers uh, on on their radar as somebody that they need to like fight with or or have have some kind of beef with. I doubt it. I don't think there's going to be any fireworks works there they'll, they'll say hi to each other maybe they'll maybe they'll they'll jostle each other a little bit in positions for rebounds maybe a little more than usual but i'd be pretty surprised if we see anything noteworthy uh between those guys in this game as for loner i think he's gonna have a bit of a quiet night i think uh baylor's gonna focus really heavily on attacking gonzaga with their guards uh and i and i think that gonzaga is a bit more prepared for what loner is and, and you know how to watch for him on the court i'll give a, a prediction for his line of, of four points four boards let's go with that Next question comes from at Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter, who says, looking ahead at the rest of the schedule, what teams are you worried about Zags matching up against? I don't really get worried about any of their games. Uh, obviously, it sucks when they lose, but I think that a lot of the games that uh, that are potential losses for the Zags are good losses. So I know I, this is the second time I've been kind of pedantic on one of your questions, Jacob, so I apologize for that. Uh, but Baylor and Alabama are obviously the two tough games coming up. Baylor on Friday, the Zags you know, haven't, 
have had some time to kind of recoup from what happened in, in Portland and figure out like what are the pros, what are the cons, what are the things we need to work on, but they don't get a lot of time. Maybe it was on Friday. That's it's coming up pretty soon. They don't have a lot of time to prepare for that game. Uh, Alabama is now a top 10 team, looked fantastic against North Carolina, uh, you know, has, has played a really, really good season so far, obviously beat the Zags last year. This game is going to be more of a, a home adjacent game for them. So those are two tough games. Uh, again, those would be decent losses depending on how they happened. Uh, so I don't think that they're like cataclysmic losses or like season ending losses or anything like that. Uh, and I think that there's a, a chance that they win to both of them. Obviously I, I'm inclined to believe they're going to split, but uh, nothing else really jumps out at me. You got to be careful with Kent state. Uh, they, you know, only lost to five to Houston. Who's the number one team in the country. Uh, Washington always plays Gonzaga tough. So you got to watch out for that conference play. Of course, this is a usual suspects. You can kind of toss Portland into the mix as well, but nobody I'm really worried about. Nobody I'm really worried about Baylor and Alabama. Give me tough wins. I'd be surprised if they win both of them, but I'm not worried if they lose those games. Next question comes from Darren via Twitter DM. Darren says, watching Arizona versus Creighton, and have to wonder, does Umar Balo develop like this if he stayed at GU? I don't see why not. I've seen this question a handful of times, and, and Gonzaga recruited him. Gonzaga's reputation for developing big men, I mean, they're nearly batting 1,000. They're nearly batting 1,000. I cannot think of one big man outside of Umar Balo, one big man who has – gotten better after leaving Gonzaga. It was Ryan Spangler. It was over a decade ago. He went to Oklahoma. He's like, he's from there. He was just homesick at in Spokane, went home, played really well there. That is it. Gonzaga develops bigs at a elite rate. They, their success on Bigman is extraordinary. They targeted, and I say they, Tommy did. Tommy found Umar Balo. Tommy recruited him. Tommy brought him to Spokane. We, he didn't have a great first year. He had an injury. He was behind a bunch of guys. Like He just, he just didn't fit in. Tommy left. Of course, Umar is going to follow Tommy. A very logical thing to happen. He's the guy who recruited him. He's the guy who convinced him to come out to play college basketball. And then Umar turned out great. And I'm not saying that like Umar just happened to be good and it wasn't anything to do with Tommy. Tommy, Tommy and the staff there really did a good job to develop him into the player that he is. And I'm sure learning from Christian Coloco last year really helped. But I, I don't buy this sentiment that Bala wouldn't have been good if he'd stayed at Gonzaga because their track record for developing bigs is nearly spotless. And I don't see a reality where Bala would have stayed and just not gotten better in a Spokane uniform. Final question of the show comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, last year, Kansas suffered several blowout losses, most notably a 24-point blowout loss at home against Kentucky. Before they put it all together, had a great march and won the national title. What are the chances Gonzaga could do the same kind of thing this season come March 2023? Yeah, loved loved being able to end the show with this one because so many people's concerns right now are about like how low of a seed is Gonzaga going to be, or, you know, are they going to make the tournament, which we've seen a handful of times, which is again, startling uh, belief system by some people. Uh, but yeah, also sometimes teams have bad losses in November and then win the dang national championship. <laughs> like This has happened before. I, I mentioned already Gonzaga was a two loss team at almost the exact same time last year and still got a number one seed. Heck North Carolina was an eight seed last year. They were crap. For most of the regular season, crap, they were not a good team. They put it together in March, went on a nice run, boom. They were in the national championship game, had a legitimate shot at winning it all. UCLA a few years ago, Jalen Suggs hit a 39-footer that stopped them from going to the national championship game as a play-in 11 seed. You just have to get hot at the right time. That's it. That's it. That's what makes college basketball so dang beautiful is we can analyze every little thing that happens from November 7th until February 28th. We can analyze all of them and it 
just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It just matters what happened in March. It, that's what, that is what matters. This team has the absolute talent to win six games in March. Absolutely. They do Ab- unquestionably. They do right now, the way that they're playing, would I expect that they would go on a six game win streak in March in the NCAA tournament? No, no, I would not. They are not consistent enough. They're, having issues on the defensive end of the floor. The communication issues are there. The outside shooting is inconsistent. A second star behind Drew Timmy, you know, Julian Strother is kind of that guy, but he hasn't stepped into that role entirely. Like they have flaws. I don't want to end the show making it seem like, well, they're going to be fine. They're going to win a championship. I don't, I don't know about that, but I don't think that how they're playing in November necessarily means anything, frankly, about how they're going to play in March. Look Again, look at North Carolina. Look at UCLA from a couple of years ago. Look, There's so many. I mean, you use Kansas as the question here. Kansas is a great example. They got their bell rung by Kentucky. I mean, they got smacked by Kentucky. It was like, well, it's Kentucky. Gonzaga's losses are better. Gonzaga's losses are better than a 24-point loss to Kentucky last year. Gonzaga's losses, 19-point loss to Texas, 19-point loss to Purdue on a true road game and a neutral site game for Purdue – Two top five teams, not terrible losses, not terrible losses. Uh, for Gonzaga, they obviously have stuff to work on. We have talked about that at nauseum. We're going to continue to talk about it. Some of those flaws are going to show up against Baylor, I promise you. I promise you those, those flaws are going to be there against Baylor. We're going to have a lot of these same conversations the Monday after the Baylor game. Uh, and hopefully Alabama goes well. Hopefully, you know, Washington isn't a team that picks them off and we go into the conference play with three, uh, you know, three losses I think would be totally reasonable to go into conference play. But doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean that they're not going to win the championship. Doesn't mean that they're, you know, destined to to fail more epically than any Gonzaga team has ever failed before. But it doesn't mean that they're like, oh yeah, they're they're gonna be fine. They're gonna they're gonna roll and march and be good. I don't know necessarily, but teams have done this before. Getting hot in March is what matters. If playing a really rigorous non-conference schedule and getting smacked around by a couple of teams when you're really not used to getting smacked around at all, if that's what it takes for this team to gel at the right time, I, I hope they lose to Baylor by 30. If that's what it takes, if that is what it takes for this team to be ready to roll in March, so be it. I think that that's really the way that we need to be thinking about this and concentrating on this as, as a fan base. And I know that it's hard, especially when, <laughs> when they've lost games in ways that they haven't lost games in a really long time. But it just matters how ready you are in March. And plenty of teams have suffered losses similar to this and have not only you know, turned it around and had successful seasons, they've won the freaking national championship just like Kansas last year. Perhaps Gonzaga will do the same thing. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the new podcast, Locked on College Basketball, where myself and Isaac Shade of Locked on Tar Heels break down the biggest stories in all of college sports. That is, of course, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Finally, I want to thank you all for making Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. For your next listen, check out the Locked on Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.